Welcome to The Trauma Tales, a production of Third Star Media and Shanna White Psychology. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics, including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma and suicide. If you don't think that you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath and come back another day. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and the elders in all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture and future and am committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice and creating opportunities to heal together. Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit. But what is trauma, really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist, and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life. But my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma and highlight its impacts and, most importantly, to help those who live through trauma to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents and adults. I try to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot. And now, you will too. Welcome back to the Trauma Tales, everybody. Today I am joined by Max. Thank you for joining us, Max. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about a time or an experience in your life where trauma occurred for you. Wow. Um, well, at the time, I guess being so young, didn't know that it was trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but my childhood's been pretty complex all throughout. Um, for me to pick something um would probably be my mum using meth uh, being involved with biker clubs my dad being aboriginal uh, intergenerational trauma um he coming from quite a severe um abusive history mm. um yeah take your pick yeah wow so there's a lot to sort of unpack <laughs> yeah there. i know we're short on time so, okay, mm. I'll just dive straight in. Mm. I'm curious, when was the first time mm. that you actually realised this is not normal? Whatever aspect of your life that might have been, where you might have gone to school and gone, oh, the other kids don't have this or they don't do this. What was that moment for you? Um, that awareness moment mm. it didn't come until quite later. Like I always knew that I was struggling and I was surviving and I was getting through things, but I, I never really, it was kind of my normal. Mm. Um, it, there was never any conversations or anything around me that made me stop and think, oh, there's that family over there and there's this 
situation for me here and um, it was just everyday kind of thing so it was about yeah there was never never that awareness of what was going on for me was not okay and was not normal um, I think the first like I, I always knew as an adult that what had happened was something I had to repair from and I was experiencing the symptoms of and had to do something with but it was never that aha moment there was one aha moment when I was in uni and I was sitting sitting with others in a classroom and um, we were all going around and talking about different things from our upbringing and, and I, someone said something and I started laughing and, and um, I started telling this story and the story was that I was, um, I was, oh, it would have been about four and I was in bed and I used to cry a lot because I was scared and um, I was home alone with dad one night and um, I remember he used to come in and play a game with me and that game was um, see if you can breathe under this pillow. And when I was telling this story, I was laughing as if I was that kid again, um, thinking it was fun. And then I looked around the room and I saw everyone's faces, which looks very similar to yours right now. <laughs> and I stopped and, and I thought, oh, that wasn't a game. Because I'd learnt under that pillow how to control my breathing so I could keep breathing through the fabric. But the, the interesting aha moment was how normalised that was for me. Mm. How I didn't think too much of it. And then coming to other people and telling that story and everyone's just like, ah. Yeah, they were just very quiet. <laughs> And that was actually going to be my next question. So, like I just was, I was like, "Oh my goodness!" That's but so funny. How, how how do people react? When I talk about the depths of my life experiences, people can't sit with it uh, for whatever reasons, and they vary um, from person to person. But generally, people can't sit in that space to be non-judgmental towards me and know that I'm in a space now that's very different from... It's as if when, when I talk about a story, they feel it then for the first time from their position, which is a vicarious situation, but their reaction is misplaced because I'm so far ahead yeah. and and growth and, and change um, that it's misplaced and it, and it just feels rigid and awkward and almost re-traumatizing for me mm. because I feel like that I can't connect with that person. So uh, it just made me think of like when when someone passes away and we, we, we like to bust out with these cliches mm. of, you know, they're in a better place and all that other mm -hmm. bullshit mm -hmm. that is has never in the history of the universe actually been helpful in any way, shape or form <laughs> and actually stresses them out. Yeah. Or my personal favourite which is the words when someone's feeling really overwhelmed or mm. upset or having a meltdown and we go, calm down. Oh, yep. That's, that's <laughs> evidence-based, that one. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. Uh, never worked. No. Uh, I've never seen that work. No. So when when you were a teenager, how did this – well, not just as a teenager, mm. you were talking quite a lot about as a child. As mm. a child and as a teenager, how did it impact on your life? So like schooling and behaviour and relationships, stuff like that. Um, it varied, varying different times. Um, um, 
like it, it was always interesting with my education um I always enjoyed learning um although focus was never really there I'd I always strived to, because we had a, high, a lot of high achievers, especially in high school, um, we had a lot of high achievers, so I always felt like competitive, and but enjoying that competition. Um, so I, I always strived, but by the end of high school, um, I'd moved home in that last 12 months, maybe 16 times between my grandmother, my father and my mother, just bunny hopping around. Um, and I ended up uh, in Springwood and I sat my school certificate um, and I was very nervous throughout the whole thing and I remember standing at the door at home when the postman came and he delivered it to me and I was shocked that I had got 86 in English, 73 in math, 79 in science and I was just with everything I had been through and sitting that exam I just didn't expect anything like that. Um, so yeah, I, that kind of assisted me going forward to be able to know that no matter what has happened and what's going on, I still have this capacity, um, to move forward, how it affected my relationships. Mm. Um, that's a tricky one. Um, I, I know that there has been a pretty hard to break theme of trying to repair things with my mum, even up to about five years ago where that came to a close um i just could never break through to her um where is she now or you, i mean at that point um she's a complicated person um quite she's i don't know how to explain her um she's still using no she stopped using quite a long time ago but uh, the personality was still there. I'd, I'd finished some of my uni studies and she went on and do a similar, um, a similar track, um, with her study and she completed oh. her diploma, which she'd never done before. And, um, but then she started using it against, well, I felt like she was using it against me to deny my trauma. Um, she was talking about your truth and my truth and this kind of thing. And it was just, it felt really painful to go through um, her empowerment of herself to only be continuously used. To devalue you. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I found that really difficult. Look, my friends at school, I had, um, primary school was okay. I, I had close friends. Um, I wouldn't say that they were as close as other people in the sense, you know, kids going over to other kids' homes and playing and stuff. Didn't really have too much of that. Um, high school was um, good for the first two, two years. I had some really close friends in high school, but then because of me moving around a lot, they kind of, every time I'd go back to that school, they'd moved on with someone else. And so I felt super isolated bless you thank you so yeah um i was super isolated and yeah um what was the other question uh just about how it impacted like your education your relationships etc but i'm really curious about mm. something you said and i'm kind of stuck on it if mm. i'm honest yeah go for it uh well you know that my areas like what happens to the brain when we experience trauma mm. 
you said something just before about standing there receiving your HSC results and you remember mm. the numbers mm. and not to give too much away mm. about us, but it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been a while it's since a while. we got our HSC results, yep. considering we got them in the mail. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to wait. Yeah, yep. there's a clue. Um, <laughs> that you remember those subjects and numbers mm. so well tells yep. me so much about the space your brain was operating in and that, mm. that really seminal moment that that was for mm. you, mm. which is really fascinating that mm. you get, would have been so hyper-focused and mm. hyper-vigilant, obviously given mm. your marks about your education mm. and, and what that meant to you, even though you moved 16 times mm. in year 12. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I have an impeccable memory, very vivid, um, yeah. Which would be really helpful sometimes. Oh, and yeah. really, really unhelpful <laughs> sometimes too, I'd imagine. Well, it's a good defense mechanism when you need it. Oh, you'd be great for a debate. <laughs> yes, so it'd be fantastic for a debate. <laughs> yep. What about moving into an into uh, adulthood, sort of beyond uni, where you've got those structures around you? Because that kind of can help hold us together through yeah, trauma. It, what happened then? It can. Um, oh. So I guess I'll backtrack for just a second and run through a line that kind of leads into answering that question. Um, so I, my mum pretty much took me away from my dad with the police um, when I was about five. We moved to the country with my stepdad and there was a lot of domestic violence, um, a lot of drug use. Um, and then my dad got sole custody um we moved back in to sydney with my grandmother and um i was really close to my dad for about two years um and then he kind of just left me at home a lot with my grandmother and that really kind of affected me um and my grandma was always pushing me out go and make some friends you can't stay home and wait for him all the time because uh, i used to wait at the window um and i knew the sound of his car and I would always wait. Sometimes I'd wait hours or days. Um, but eventually that broke and I started um, playing soccer on a hill with some other kids from uh, primary school. And I was, I think I was about to go into high school, um, not too uh, long after that. And I met a 19-year-old uh, male and that became a sexual relationship. I was 11 uh, for about two years. Um, and so then, and my dad knew about it, my grandma knew about it, they didn't do anything about it. Um, I protected him. My dad was going to question him, but, um, I told my dad to fuck pretty much, um, uh, because he'd gone and left me and I had this person who was warm towards me. It was comforting towards me. Mm. Um, uh, albeit, um, yeah, child abuse. Um, and um, I, that's yep. sorry to no, interrupt you, but you that's go. so it's so important what you just said. That that's why I interrupted you. Is yeah, it's not always the case, but so often for children and young people who are abused and groomed, it comes from a place of they're they're groomed from something's missing. Something's yeah. They're, they're vulnerable. Yeah. I, I loved him. I was 11. And I, I really did love him. Um, and when he 
um, kind of, I don't know what word you would use it for that kind of context, but when he broke off from me, um, that was really painful. Um, yeah, um, really painful. Did you know it was child abuse at the time? No, no. So you had no clue? No. You thought this was okay? I, I didn't think about it. I felt about it. And what I felt was connected. And um, in like, oh, yeah, just it's weird to explain because I, I know now as an adult, right? But as that child, um, yeah, really, really difficult to explain. Um, it was just always so warm to be with him. And he never mistreated me. He never did anything that he didn't first say, are you comfortable with this? He was very gentle. So despite the fact that you were 11? Yes. Yeah, 11. Yep. You felt like you were giving consent to... That's right. Yeah. Even though you, but you, when you're have. 11, you don't know you don't have no. consent, right? Yeah. You don't know you don't have capacity <laughs> for that yet. That's right. So it yeah. was... I hadn't even hit puberty. Yep. You were a baby. You were a child. Yeah. But he was he was giving me something, um, and the rest of the rest of my life was an empty void of that. Um, if it was anything else, being close to an adult would mean being hit um, or some kind of distance or some kind of neglect or something. And he gave me a warmth, albeit in the way he did. Mm. So when that scenario with that person ended mm. you didn't cope with that no not too well um like you would have been th what 13 did you say Two yeah 13 yeah i was about that he he got he got himself a girlfriend um yeah uh and i i i think from memory what had happened was that i kept going back down to his place the problem with it was that his brother found out and was going to tell the parents, but then this individual had um, went and spoke to his brother and the brother's pretty much, don't do it anymore and all this kind of stuff. So obviously it just became something for him. Um, but he'd moved on and I think I'd gone down to his place quite a few times and um, I think his mum and dad, who he lived with, just kept saying to me, oh, he's not here, um, yeah, he's moved on or something like that. Just... Almost like you were the pest. Yes, oh, very much so. I felt like the pest. I felt so ashamed and so scared going up to that door and knocking um, to see if I could, yeah, see him. Mm. See, we don't hear this side of child abuse. Right. At mm. all. We hear the terrible, evil, mm. horned creature. We yep. don't see mm how that grooming behavior creates behavior it yep. reinforces behavior so it, it creates this behavior in children mm. that you did yes so you were pursuing him because you had been so well groomed yes mm. yeah definitely and and it was that combination of things of circumstances at home that you know were what they were but um and also what he was the, his approach to me the combination of both of those things came together to make a very clear avenue for me to not see what was going on or have any protective factors involved. So many people knew, um, 
but they didn't do anything. People knew? Yeah, yep. Like, so I, you said that, you know, you, your grandmother and your father kind of knew that you yes. were friends with him, but did oh, they no, have no, a relationship? No. They knew. Yeah, yeah, so did my auntie who lived with her. She was a friend of a friend because he was around her age. And so, yeah, they were all quite connected in the community. And um, no, everyone knew. My dad, I remember um, he came home with me once because uh, normally we were at his place and we were at uh, the front gate um, and he waited for me. I went inside to get a jumper and my father was in the uh, front yard doing some gardening and um, quite casual, I know. Um, and I came back out and he was questioning him and um, what are you doing hanging around my son? And um, I felt a heat rise in me and... Um, and I saw this person kind of get anxious and I went in to protect. So I pretty much shut my dad down at that age. Um, you went to protect your abuser? Yes. Yes. And, um, and I said to him, I said to my dad, I said, look, you're never fucking around for me anymore. What do you expect me to do? Um, you've left me. And I think my dad felt a bit ashamed about that. Because there was a couple of years where he was an active, engaged father. Um, and so that kind of shut that down. But then this person ran off um, and ran home. Um, and I had to rectify that situation. I had to fix that. So that this When person, you say you had to fix that, what do you mean? Well, I had to make sure that this person was not going to stop seeing me because of my father. So you were so invested in this relationship. 100%. Yeah. He was all I had. Wow. Mm. So after it had ended. Yeah, after it had ended. What what sort of happened for you then? Oh, crikey. Um. <laughs> Is that not the best Australian like, term ever? Crikey. crikey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm. We don't use it enough. No, we don't. I'm, I use it a lot more these days. It's people's people's attention. I think I'm going to start bringing it back. I'm going to bring it back into my vernacular. <laughs> so, uh, what happened? Um, uh, no, look, not a lot. My focus shifted. Um, yeah, not not a great deal. I, I think there was more trouble at home. Um, I ended up moving. Like Dad ended up moving out. With his with his new girlfriend, and I eventually went with him, um, and we were quite isolated um, out in kind of like a bush area in um, Penrith and stuff. So not a lot. There was a lot more other stresses, um, yeah, to to focus on. And I I kind of just was starting to engage with different um, people. Um, started to explore my sexuality with females and because um, yeah eventually that was like a couple of years later N not a lot happened um, my mum came back to Sydney um, you know there was always you know that consistent theme of abuse and things but to go back to kind of your question earlier about into adulthood um, 
Yeah, I stumbled into adulthood. I pretty much left home when I was 16. My dad was on in his bed when I went back to pick up my stuff and he was really sick. And um, he was like, so what, you're just going to fucking leave me? Um, he was there with his new partner and three kids, family, everything. And it's like, he was actually in my bed, sick. Um, Why? I don't know. I think because there was marital problems or something. And so he kind of oh, just okay. wanted a separate room and I wasn't really there anymore. So, but he was in my bed and it, it just made me feel really guilty. And I was just like, no, fuck you. I'm not staying here. And I don't care if you're dying. I later found out that um, uh, he had actually contracted HIV. So he's not dead. Uh, he went on medication. It's, yeah, like, well, mm, that does, man has does suffered. He, does he know how? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's um, always really struggled with his sexuality. Um, and I know that he would go out and get really drunk and go out to Oxford Street and hook up with guys and take drugs and do a whole lot of things like that. Um, his brother, my uncle, died when I was three from AIDS. Mm. Um, and so there's been a lot of kind of like a lot of stuff in that side of my family. Um, yeah, so I kind of stumbled through adulthood um, quite badly, um, just my early years. Um, I think I was 16. I was pretty much homeless for a while. Um, and got involved with the wrong crowd, obviously. Um, and I'd met this guy and, um, again, I was just like, he was older than me, obviously, but not significantly older. Um, I think he would have been around 25 or something, heavy heroin user. Um, I was never interested in any of that stuff because of my experiences with my mum. Um, I was always very anti, I didn't care if people used around me, but, um, I was always like, no, not doing that. Um, but this, yeah, this guy was just weird and boring because he'd go to the toilet for like six hours. <laughs> he'd be like on the nod for a very long time. Uh, okay. And everyone yeah. else around us would be like, hey, can you see what's going on? So um, anyway, eventually the point of the story is that he introduced me to someone down in Darling Harbour because I had nowhere to go. And um, this guy ended up being a um, heavy uh, meth user, very heavy meth user. Um, there was needles everywhere, but it was quite a nice apartment. Um, but he was a known pedophile in the area. Um, didn't find out that till later. Um, so I spent two weeks there where he had drugged me and raped me for about two weeks. And he, I'd been seen downstairs on the camera at the 7-Eleven where the cops had requested that he be monitored through their footage. Okay, yeah. And, um, yeah, so two weeks in and ram-raided through the door. The police come in and, um, yeah, they arrest him and they kind of, I felt forced and manipulated um, to make a statement where none of the others previously had made a statement, um, even though he was up for a lot of charges, they didn't have enough evidence because um, all those other kids were too scared 
Um, he was well known, well connected into the underbelly of things in Sydney. Um, and I didn't know that. So I was like, okay, the police officer's offering me Maccas. I haven't eaten anything in two weeks. I'm hungry. I'll give you my statement. Gave my statement. He went away for seven years. Didn't get my Maccas. Still <laughs> devastated about that. Oh my God, I'm sitting here waiting with bated breath Still and you dropped that on me. Really devastated about that. I ran into him a long time afterwards um, at TAFE when I did finally start getting my shit together. Um, he was at TAFE and I was just like... Doing what? Uh, enrolled in a course. Yeah. Like Please he, don't say it was like childcare or something. <laughs> no, because he would have been on the register after yeah, everything. Yeah, no, right? you can't go anywhere. You can't go anywhere. So, um, yeah, that was interesting. So, yeah, anyway, look, fumbled through. But uh, during my fumbling, I... Uh, some things that did really help me along the way was I met this wonderful therapist in Sydney. She was an older lady, very nurturing. She did some uh, biofeedback and neurofeedback with me mm-hmm. because I had a lot of stomach issues, mm. obviously, after you've been through all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Standard. Body um, keeps a score, right? Body keeps a score. And that really helped kind of work some issues out there. Um, and eventually... I got into the nutritional side of things as well um, and made sure that all those boxes were ticked enough for me to be chemically functioning without needing to go on any kind of medication. Um, and that worked. Um, yeah, had two, two therapists that I worked through a lot of stuff with. What about now? What, what, what works for you now? Um, none of it. Um, it, it's management of change now for me. It's um, none of it really. It's all just a story now. Um, it has no weight. It's like the only time it has any weight is if I'm talking about it with someone that um, has a reaction to it. That's the only thing that really affects me about it now. Otherwise, you know, wherever I can use it to, you know, help. Um, or enlighten or shine a light in some dark room, then very happy to do that because it just doesn't have any effect on my life anymore. It doesn't haunt you anymore? No. Um, no, the, um, the haunting factor was very interesting for me. Um, yeah, it, the body keeps the score is probably more accurate than traumatic memories. I'm okay sitting in those memories, um, but the beatings and you know um, different things like that um, had to be worked through therapeutically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now you're in in a better place. Your life is. What does it look like? Um, I have my master's degree. I have a nearly adult child. Um, Married, um, hoping for more children. Um, you told her that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> yeah, there's a memo somewhere. <laughs> you left it on a poster on the kitchen bench. <laughs> That's right. After you finish cooking dinner, just read it. <laughs> just read this. No, we're very much on the same board with all of that. And yeah, like 
like she she knows most of my history, um, if not all of it, but it's not like something she needs to know or needs to hold mm. with any kind of like, oh, I need to be aware of that for this and stuff like that. There's none of that. So, um, so you very yeah. rarely get triggered anymore? Um, there's only one thing that really still triggers me and that is when a person in a position of power um, kind of um, tries to cut me down mm. for their own gain and benefit. Mm. I, yeah, okay, I am triggered by predators and um, I can pick them out a mile away. It's an interesting skill. I'm sure that there's some mm. police units who'd be very interested <laughs> to activate that skill. Well, I have thought about going in a line similar to that, but mm. yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been an honour. Well, I hope it's going to be helpful for something or someone. I'm sure that it will be. I have no doubt. How are you mm. feeling now? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, cup of tea helps. Thank you. Cup of tea is always helpful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Max. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for The Trauma Tales. A new episode will be released every fortnight and they will cover all areas and topics where trauma has occurred. I'm really looking forward to sharing these with you. If you'd like to follow our social pages, the links are in the show notes. Let us know what you think. If this episode of The Trauma Tales has impacted on you, please contact one of the following resources. Lifeline, Kids Helpline, 1-800-RESPECT, Men's Helpline. The contact details for each of these are in the show notes. Or if you would like to contact us to share your story on our podcast, or if you want to sponsor our show, please email us at thetraumatales, all lowercase, all one word, at gmail.com. <laughs>